0: This is the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics, or as it's better known, the USSR, or the Soviet Union. This is one of the most historically significant economies to understand, not only because it was the home to some of the most controversial economic practices ever, not only because it was the nation that altered world politics for the later half of the entire 20th century, or because it was home to the largest and most rapid economic declines in modern history. No, no. All of that stuff is important and we will explore it, but more important than all of that is that even today, almost 30 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, the lessons of the nation and its economy are having lasting implications on the world today. Of course, the first thing to know when looking at the economy of the Soviet Union is that it was a socialist nation. In fact, it was THE socialist nation, which at the time was a bit of an untested system. Russia in 1917 was a very very unequal place, defined by a class system of royals, officials and everyone else. We have explored wealth inequality just last week when we looked at South Africa, which is today the most uneven nation on earth. But South Africa looks like Disneyland compared to the Russian empire in the early 20th century. People eventually got pretty tired of this, having to both fight in World War 1 to protect a country that wouldn't feed them was looking pretty unfair, and it was ripe ground for influential leaders to suggest that the proletariat masses fight the real enemies to seize the means of production, which as a side note is a saying very very much rooted in economics. To produce anything there are the factors of production, land, labor and capital. The Marxist theories that drove the revolution pointed out that a vast majority of the population controls an equally vast majority of the labor. Which makes sense, people equal labour, but what defined the ruling class is that they own the lands and the factories, the land and capital part of this equation. There is nothing stopping the labour from seizing these assets for the people and then ta-da we control the whole system. Sorry Nicholas old mate we don't really need you anymore. This was a pretty tumultuous time in Russian history there were civil wars and world wars and power vacuums and all of this of course led to huge social and economic unrest from the proverbial ashes this man eventually rose to a position of undisputed power joseph stalin looked to many like the strong man the nation needed to restore order a common misconception was that the russian revolution happened and then the country just got straight into some good old socialism but in reality The nation didn't really start to take the shape that Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin had envisaged until 1928, a full four years after the death of Lenin. It was at this time that Joseph Stalin enacted the first of a series of five-year plans, something that was the cornerstone of most centrally planned socialist states into the future. We saw it in China, we still see it in North Korea, and we even saw it in India, but Soviet Russia was of course the birthplace of these systems. The first of the five-year plans called for a strict focus on heavy industry and particularly food production. Stalin was very well aware of what a hungry population meant for the last rulers of Russia and was not keen to repeat their mistakes. The five-year plan set out relatively ambitious targets that monitored every aspect of the production cycle inputs to outputs, wholesale to retail prices and even timeframes for throughput. This caused a few issues. For starters, the whole system was plagued with being overly optimistic of potential output and similarly marred by misreporting of all figures. There was a lack of real oversight amongst workers to managers to leaders and everyone was too afraid of stepping out of line. If you were a worker disappointing your manager, well that's not going to look great for you. But similarly, it is hard to punish a worker because they were the foundation of the socialist nation. The term Soviet is actually just a Russian term for Workers' Council, or basically a Workers' Union. A system that worked better was just to lie about your actual output figures on all levels to meet the bare minimum criteria. And everyone, just kind of agreed to go along with this lie because it suited people throughout all stages and at all levels of the production cycle to keep the lie going so as to not get gulagged. Now another big flaw in this whole system that is often pointed out is the lack of incentive to put any kind of discretionary effort into your work. A typical limitation of Marxist-Leninist social systems is that it doesn't offer much in the way of motivation to be a more productive worker or manager or business. At the end of the day, resources will be allocated upon needs by the state and your own discretionary effort has little to do with what you receive. Most people should be able to understand this, but what most people miss is that this problem isn't necessarily exclusive to a socialist system. Most workers in developed countries are salaried employees that receive a base wage And perhaps a bonus on top of that for hitting certain targets. The same as in the Soviet Union, there is little incentive for people to put in any more effort than they need to in order to just not get fired. This has led to a phenomenon where a lot of workers are idle for a vast majority of their working hours, like maybe you are right now watching this video. So yeah, lazy, unmotivated workers are a thing in socialist nations no doubt. But they are also a thing in capitalist nations as well, no major differences there. Something that does make a difference though is perhaps something that is more of an oversight for most people assessing socialist states, and that is the vast mismanagement of resources that are allocated with the guidance from political ideologies rather than economic theories. Remember Stalin's economic plans that monitored input and output and all that jazz? Well the reason the government did this were twofold. One, to assess if their plan had been successful, but two, also to allocate resources to underperforming industries. If farming was only able to produce a million tons of potatoes in a given year, and they were supposed to produce two million tons, the communist party would just allocate double the workers, double the fertilizer, and double the farmland to produce twice the output. And normally, this kind of worked, but it was looking at everything kind of backwards. The Soviet Union had decided that they wanted X amount of output and didn't care what they needed to put into the other side of the equation to make that level of output happen. And this made sense politically. The Soviet Union was a place where results were achieved by putting things to work. The supreme leader of the communist party promised potatoes, by golly you are getting those damn potatoes. The whole system reminds me a lot of that old TV show Mythbusters, where they tested scientific theories through very TV friendly experiments, like getting solid cement out of a cement truck with a stick of dynamite. If the actual findings were too underwhelming for TV, they would do a segment called replicating the results, which normally meant piling up an ungodly amount of high explosives and turning a small portion of Southern California into a crater. It's not really good science, but it does make everyone feel good. The same is true for the Soviet Union in a sense. If the results were not impressive enough to present to the people of the nation, they would just throw a huge amount of resources and labor at the problem until it got to a point where the desired results were achieved. It's not really good economics, but it does make everyone feel good. This in and of itself meant that a lot of resources were wasted in fields and industries that just would not have existed in a normal competitive market, but it also went beyond this. Imagine you were an ambitious and morally onerous soviet middle management type. You could run your factory very efficiently using the bare minimum of resources to produce the maximum output and maybe be rewarded with a pat on the back. But rest assured in the next five year plan you are only going to be allocated the bare minimum of resources again and you are still going to be expected to produce the same if not more. What is a smarter strategy is just to be really really inefficient. Waste resources, let your workers idle below capacity and be proud of falling below quotas. What this will mean is that in the next 5 year plan you will be given more workers in a bigger factory and more resources, and you will look like a hero when you slightly increase the output from the last underperforming year. This is a dangerous balancing act. You want to get it just right because if it becomes too obvious what you are doing it's off to the gulags with you. This whole issue of deliberate underperformance or budget overuse is actually a huge issue in the public sector today. It is extremely common for government agencies to find any way to spend up the last little bits of their budget because they know if they don't use it this year it will be taken off them next year. So you are almost forced to use it. The only difference was that in the Soviet Union, the public sector was every sector, so this issue of resource mismanagement was much more widespread. The problem with asset allocation didn't stop there though. This was almost a surface level issue in comparison to the Soviet Union's obsession with the accumulation of capital resources. The whole seize the means of production thing has become a bit of a meme in recent years, but it is important to remember that giving labor control over the machines that they worked on was a cornerstone of the Soviet system, and this featured heavily in their five-year plans. Remember when I said politics got in the way of sound economic decisions? Well, this is probably the area where this is most pronounced. The Soviet Union allocated a vast majority of their productive capacity into producing more tools to increase their productive capacity. Which basically put meant that they would rather produce drill presses rather than kettles. The former increased potential economic output, but the latter increases quality of life and standards of living for the residents. But the Soviet Union was obsessed with paper growth and so much preferred to produce things that would go on to produce things. This meant that the economy was growing, but it kind of just gave workers more machinery than they really needed, without really improving quality of life. This led to famines and political unrest, but what it did mean was that they could turn around and produce a lot of industry intensive goods if they needed to, which they needed to during World War II. The USSR was actually the nation most heavily affected by World War II, losing around 27 million lives as a result of the war, but it was still a worthy adversary due largely to its sheer productive potential. I always stress that I am not a military historian, so take everything I say here with a grain of salt, but towards the climax of the war during the battle of Kursk, the largest tank battle in history, the Soviets were victorious over the Germans purely by virtue of the fact that they could bring thousands more tanks into the engagement. The Soviet tanks were massively inferior to the German tanks, but they won by sheer volume alone, which is really a metaphor for the whole Soviet system in a nutshell. After the death of Stalin, a series of Soviet leaders began to enact increasingly liberal economic policies that lent more towards seeing the citizens of the nation as consumers rather than just workers. The production of awful factory equipment was replaced with the production of awful cars in an attempt to increase living standards, but the Soviet Union was still the poster child for a Marxist-Leninist economic system and it was difficult for them to depart too far from these roots. As a result of this, and an increasingly expensive cold war, the citizens of the union saw very little in the way of economic growth and prosperity. Inefficiencies continued to mar the nation and the select group of other nations that the union could trade with kind of all had the same issues, curiously enough. Up until its downfall in 1991, the Soviet Union was still the second largest economy in the world, by GDP figures. but. That was not truly indicative of the state. Russia had a huge population and it could juggle a lot of money around, which looked great on paper GDP figures. But it was a nation on its knees that could barely feed the labouring giant it had become. The policy of quantity over quality could only get them so far and eventually they crumbled from the inside. The Soviet Union was of course a hugely influential nation, but the errors and issues that caused its downfall are important to understand for all sorts of arguments that are relevant to this day. The failings of the Soviet Union are often the centrepiece of an argument to discredit socialist policies in developed nations, but it is important to understand that these failings were not so much an issue of social welfare as they were the misalignment of political ideologies with good economic theory. Slack labor and the lack of worker motivation exist just as much in modern capitalistic states as it does in a communist one, but on the other hand, the failings still must be recognized for what they are. Rewarding underperforming industries with more resources is a surefire way to produce more underperforming industries. While an economy does not need to punish mediocrity in order to be great, it cannot punish greatness or it is going to end up being mediocre. Regardless of the brand of politics you slap on it. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video. A huge thank you to our new patrons over on Patreon. Your support continues to make this channel possible. Otherwise, as always, YouTube live stream over on the second channel for the QA session, so hop on over there or join our Discord server if you would like to participate in that. Otherwise, if you enjoyed this video, please consider liking and subscribing, it really helps out. Thanks guys, bye.